0: Hi there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 224 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I'm your host this week. My name is Jason Evans. I'm coming to you from an undisclosed location. I've left Atlanta and I am at the beach. Uh, Actually, I'm at the Jersey Shore. Very excited to uh, have left my uh, little mini family bubble in Atlanta to create a new family bubble elsewhere. Um, I am joined, as always, by my good buddy, Sam Klein. Sam, how's it going?
2: I am doing well. I was I was excited there for a second that we were going to play Guess Where Jason Evans's Undisclosed Location Was, but then you ruined the whole fun. So I guess we're going to have to talk about the NBA and coronavirus and all the things that we've just been talking about for months and months and months.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm so boring. I, I should have played a little game with you guys. Oh, well, my bad. Uh, I, and by the way, I said you guys because we're again joined by Donald Wine. Donald, how's it going, buddy?
1: uh is going um i'll explain at the end what's going on but it's good to be back to see you guys i'm here in texas with my family uh we're just kind of going through life right now uh but we are glad to i'm glad to be back here with you guys thank you guys for taking care of everything while i was gone and uh let's get into some basketball
0: yeah we we missed you buddy let's talk about the basketball i love it there is uh there's something significant happening in the world of basketball which is the nba playoffs are about to start. We're recording on Monday morning, the 17th of uh, August. It feels crazy to say the NBA playoffs are starting in August, but uh, the fact that the NBA has reached the playoffs is a tremendous uh, a tremendous accomplishment during these crazy coronavirus times. Um, and there are a number of Dukies who going to be playing significant roles on various NBA teams in the playoffs. The Dukies who played uh, the for teams that didn't make the playoffs, we're not going to deal with them anymore, you know. It was great with Zion and and we had the 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 Dukies in New Orleans and Memphis and Sacramento, which is where there were most of the Dukies in the NBA. None of those teams made the playoffs. But that's okay. That's fine cuz we still got some guys still playing a major role. Um Donald, I'll go to you first. You haven't been around for a while, so tell us which guys you've been looking at and what you're looking forward to as the playoffs are about to begin. So, the two guys I'm going to focus on are Quinn
1: Cook and Seth Curry, and I'll start with Quinn Cook. The just looking at the bubble, and just looking at the seeding games that they played, initially I was concerned because, you know, in the in the, I, I won't say the off season, the the mid the mid break uh, during the pandemic, the Lakers got Deion Waiters, and they also got J.R. Smith, and I was wondering how that would tie into. Quinn Cook's minutes that he normally gets. Because before the pandemic, he was getting, as we discussed, he was getting considerable significant minutes uh, with the second unit and at times leading that second unit. The first few games of the restart, he went DNP uh, one minute and two minutes. And so that led me to be like, okay, maybe he's being replaced by either Deion Waiters or J.R. Smith with regards to minutes it's it picked back up towards the end it had he had a start with 29 minutes he had 24 minutes he had another DMP which didn't really make you know that I wasn't concerned about because they rested most of their main players for that game and then the last game he had 31 minutes off the bench so it's going to be interesting to see how that works in the playoffs with with the Lakers and and just how they organize all their minutes with all those guys and get guys like Quinn Cook onto the floor um it, it was they seem kind of erratic in trying to figure that out, and so. But now it's the playoffs, and they'll be playing the Blazers. Who, you know, we could talk all we all we want about the Blazers. They, you know, I know you'll talk about their me, meteoric rise to the playoffs, Jason. But uh, when it comes to Quinn Cook, it'll be interesting to see in that first series how many minutes does he play and what kind of impact that he's able to make with those other guys that are being added to the fold. And with Seth Curry, I I was a little concerned with him only because he didn't really shoot well coming back from the break. He had a few inactives. He had a few offers from three-point land, but he's starting to put it together. And really when it comes to Dallas, they didn't have a good seating seating bubble uh, record-wise, but I feel like they played very well. And I think what they were trying to do is figure out where on the court each other were. And and I think that's where Seth Curry is going to be very valuable to them in the playoffs because if he can get his stroke going in that first round, then Dallas is a team to be reckoned with because uh, with Luka Doncic and Christoph Porzingis, they have guys that can do a bulk of the scoring. They need a guy who's going to be able to shoot that open three, and Seth Curry was that guy during the season. If he can continue that during the playoffs, I think he's going to be a guy that will be looked at as, oh, wow, Dallas made it this far because – of this X factor uh, named Seth Curry. So we'll it'll be interesting to see how that works out. But I was really fascinated to see how those guys worked within their teams. And because of the way the schedule set out, I was able to watch a lot of those games. So uh, I, I was looking forward to seeing Quinn Cook uh, play a little bit more, but in the playoffs, I think they're ready to go. And it'll be interesting to see how those guys uh, fare out.
2: Yeah, Seth Curry in particular to me is interesting because – the Mavericks are such a potent offensive team, and we know that Curry is capable of getting hot. So, yes, they're the seven seed in the West. They have to face the second-place Clippers, but the Mavericks are certainly capable of of pulling the upset there because of the amount of offensive power, firepower that they have, as you said, Donald. And then Cook, obviously, is interesting only because he's – or not, not only, but – uh, a lot of that is due to the fact that he plays on the best team on, on the Lakers with with LeBron James and with Anthony Davis. So uh, Cook, we expect to have a deep playoff run. Curry, certainly capable of that. Another guy that I wanted to highlight who is in a good spot to go far in the playoffs is Austin Rivers, who's playing on the Rockets and during the restart has had a a, a bit of a resurgence Um, His usage rate is up higher than it's been any time in the rest of the season. Uh, He's playing more minutes and, and he's, he's getting the ball more in in important spots the the Rockets have played really well. And, and I expect Austin rivers to be uh, an important cog for them as they, as they head into the playoffs, obviously a team that is, that is led by strong lead guards in, in Russell Westbrook. And and of course, James Harden, but uh, Austin rivers playing a a bigger and bigger role for them. And I, I think it's, you know his his career's been a little bit he'll he'll get hot he'll he'll cool off but right now it seems like he's playing well so maybe that's that he's playing uh he's playing at home finally for an extended period of time for the first time in a while of course he grew up in Orlando but uh Austin Rivers is 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 having a a a good restart here in in Orlando and hopefully he's able to keep that up as the rockets are looking to you know upset the the clippers and then and then possibly the lakers to get into the finals.
1: One quick note about home court advantage. You know, we talked about these seeding games being kind of weird because guys were trying to get into the playoffs and there were some teams who were trying to solidify those top seeds for a home court that didn't pan out because they're all playing neutral site in Orlando. Look at MLS just for a second. MLS, they had Orlando City. They played their games literally in the same campus that the NBA is playing in the bubble. And Orlando City who has done absolutely nothing in their history got all the way to the final based on the fact that they were able to weather those the elements and they didn't have to worry about, you know, travel and they didn't have to they they felt more relaxed in a home environment when i look at orlando i was shocked to see how terribly they did in those seeding games because they were the team that should have had the advantage i know that the wizards didn't you know they didn't have to do much cuz the wizards didn't do anything either but when it comes to the magic i thought that they were going to move up maybe a spot or two because they had the the advantage of not having to travel and that they were in the bubble first and they had those familiar elements of playing they've played on that campus before so when you you know get familiar with rims and stuff like that, they they also the practice courts are their home courts. Like that's what they're what all teams are using in the ballroom are Orlando Magic courts. So I'm I was curious to see why they were so erratic and just playing terribly, uh, and that's why I think they're probably not going to do much. But it, when it comes to these playoffs, I feel like anyone can be anyone because the neutral site just creates eliminates whatever advantage that these guys were seeking back in March.
0: I, you know, I'm so glad you brought up that neutral site thing, Donald, because I I I find that I am really excited for these playoffs because of the fact that home court is not a factor. We're going to in a sort of unique kind of way find out who the best team is because no one gets the advantage of playing in, you know, a special arena where they have an advantage over anybody else and I think that's a really Interesting aspect of all this, yeah, maybe the Orlando Magic have an advantage, but they're so much worse than the other teams that it it's not going to matter really. Um, uh, in, in any event, uh, you know, to to harken back to some of the Dukies because we want to get back on on track with those guys, and there are a couple more that I want to talk about. There is one thing I wanted to mention both about Austin Rivers and Seth Curry. So first about Austin Rivers, Sam, you know, uh, Austin Rivers may have the widest variance of of play of anybody. Any Dookie in the bubble right now because he is capable of games like the one he had a few games ago where he went off for forty-one points. I want to say that again. Austin Rivers scored forty-one points in an NBA game, um, and literally just a couple days later, he had a game where he only scored three points, and then the game after that, he only scored one point. So it's you know the the wide variance of play that we get from Austin Rivers is is truly remarkable and and makes him someone uh, interesting and worth talking about. And the other thing is Donald mentioned Seth Curry. Uh, I, I, I agree. I think that Dallas team is just a really interesting team. I don't think they're going to beat the Clippers, but they are a great offensive team. And because of that, they're capable of giving people fits. And even though Seth sort of had, I guess a little bit of an underwhelming um, performance in the, in the restart games, because he only played in, in I think four of the games um, because he'd been injured and as such, he still hit 50% of his threes. And, um, uh, and for some reason, I feel like three point percentages were, there are a lot of guys who were just really good on threes during the restart. And, And I want to get into a couple of those really quick. The first one is Gary Trent. Um, and we've talked about him a little bit on the pod in recent weeks. Uh, I don't think anyone expects Portland is going to upset the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs, but Portland played incredible ball in the bubble and uh, Damian Lillard just looks like he is perhaps playing the best of anybody in the NBA right now. And when Gary Trent is on the floor with him, this Portland team is really, really good. Uh, Gary Trent averaged 17 points per game um, during his time in the bubble, the second highest scoring dookie of anybody playing in the bubble, which is, you know, really impressive. 17 points per game. He did that by hitting, 34 out of 67 three-pointers. That's like better than 60% on his threes. It is crazy how good Gary Trent Jr. is shooting from three-point range. And he's playing more than 32 minutes per game for Portland. So even though he's not a starter, he is playing starter minutes. He's on the floor at the end of games when they need to win the games. They had a very exciting game they had to win to make it into the playoffs. And he played basically the entire fourth quarter of that game and hit a couple big shots. So I'm really excited to see what he does what Portland can do against the Lakers. Again, I don't think they're going to win that contest, but man, I mean, they they definitely have a shot. They've got a shot at it because they're playing so great on offense. And then the other guy I want to talk about very briefly is Jason Tatum. I've been talking about Jason Tatum, you know, the whole time we've been discussing the restart because I believe and, and everyone else agrees that Jason Tatum is the best player in the Boston Celtics and the Celtics have a very, very real chance of making a very deep run Uh, In in the Eastern Conference and and perhaps even making it to the NBA Finals, he had an awful first game because he was really rusty, 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 rusty. I don't even know what I'm saying there. (laughs) Uh, But since that first game, I want to give you Jason Tatum's stats Um, in the bubble. He's averaging twenty five point three points per game, five point eight rebounds per game, three point eight assists per game. And he's hitting forty nine percent of his three pointers um, in the bubble. So he's yet another guy who is just reigning from deep and, uh, you know, and, and hitting his shots from deep. Um, and and I, I just think Jason Tatum is probably the dookie to watch the most. I think, you know, aside from Quinn, he is the guy who has the chance to make the deepest run in the playoffs. And it's just gonna be really fun and really exciting. We've got this basketball that's back and we've got several dookies who are playing major, major roles on teams that look like they're going to go pretty far in the playoffs.
2: Jason I wanted to just come back to the Blazers really quick because the you know we focused a lot I think on the Pelicans going into the restart and the race for the 8th seed the Blazers of course took that spot and get the chance to play the Lakers but a lot of that is on the back of a, a, an amazing bubble performance by Damian Lillard who it, it was the the best player in the bubble during this during this brief restart. So if you're going to be watching that Lakers Blazers series, yes, of course be on the lookout for Gary Trent and Quinn Cook, but if nothing else tune in because you get to see the extremely high level that Damian Lillard is playing at right now. The last few years we've seen this incredible offensive explosion in the NBA and I don't think until perhaps now Lillard has really gotten his due alongside you know the the more uh the more prolific <laughs> Stars from the last few years, like Seth Curry, like Kevin Durant, but uh Damian Lillard has just been playing out of his mind. So, so that that Blazers-Lakers series, yes, the Lakers should win, but perhaps the Blazers will will pick them off for a game or two on the back of of Damian Lillard and Gary Trent's amazing offensive play here during the bubble. Dame time,
1: uh, Dame time has been a thing for a couple of years now, including last year when he sent the Thunder home from the playoffs with the with the bye bye with, uh, with the
2: gif. with With the the gift gift.
1: with the yeah with multiple gifts you have the bye-bye and then the you know the dog pile with him just you know staring into the camera and shaking his head but this year you know throughout the year he's been good but when these bubble when this bubble started he literally had one thing he's like i'm getting this team to the playoffs and he played like a dude who was like yes i know i don't have to put the team on my back but i'm still gonna do it anyway and it was incredible just watching him. Also, shout out to Devin Booker because the Suns went 8-0 and are still going home. Like that seems like a travesty to me. Uh, but it was based in no small part on Devin Booker and just how well he played throughout the the bubble.
0: Uh, the sixth, seventh, and eighth games that Portland played in the bubble, games six, seven, and eight, which they had to win. I mean, they had to win, otherwise they were not making it. Dame scored 51. 51- 61 and 42 in those three games. He averaged better than 50 points per game in their final three games in the bubble. That's Wilt Chamberlain kind of numbers, people. I mean, you just don't see 50 points per game. That's, uh, you know, harkens back to, to what Michael Jordan back in 88, was it? 87. I I forget what year, but the year Michael Jordan had that series against the Celtics when he was, I want to say his second year in the league. It was 86. 86. See, I. A long time ago, um, in any event, I mean, if I said to you, what's the over-under on Damian Lillard points per game against the Lakers? It's got to be like 37, 38. If I said, told you he was going to average 37 point per game, you you might say he's going to score more than that. Am I right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, just watching him was just ridiculous. It, it it was very hard to describe what you saw when Damian Lillard got on the court because he, you knew he was capable of doing it and you're like, well, he, you know, he went for 61 last night. He's not going to do it again. Oh, he did. He went for 50. Oh, well he did 50 last night. He's not going to do it again. Like that was, it was just incredible just watch. And the thing was those last three games were over the course of like four nights. He did back to back to almost back, like just, just took it and just rode them all the way to the playoffs, uh, which is why they, they came, they came out with the first team and second team. And I was like, yeah, Damian Lillard and Devin Booker should be on there. And, and Damian Lillard, just for the fact of getting his team to the playoffs like that, he deserves to be the bubble MVP.
0: Yeah, and, and that's what he was named. Hey, we're going to uh, – by the way, there are other Dukies playing in the playoffs. We don't want to overlook Mason Plumlee uh, playing a, a key reserve role for the Dallas uh, – sorry, for the Denver Denver Nuggets, who, who are actually number three seed. They're a pretty good team. They have a chance to, to make some real waves in the playoffs. And by the way, one of the things I love about Mason is um, he doesn't score a lot, but he gets a lot of assists. Um, they, they sort of, the way Denver plays is they play through their center. And, uh, when Jokic goes out, you would think there'd be a big decline in play, <clears throat> but, but Mason is able to keep them going and and play so much similarly in terms of them getting him the ball and him distributing it to other players. Um, Lance Thomas is still in there. There there are a couple other guys, but in, in any event, we're going to go away from the NBA. Now we're going to move on to our least favorite topic that we still have to talk about a lot, which is coronavirus. But before we get to that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment with the latest on how Duke, how UNC, how a bunch of schools are doing at containing the coronavirus as students return to campus and as they get ready to start playing football. Okay, we're back and it's time for the topic that, oh God. This topic never goes away, does it, guys?
2: Evergreen. That's kind of the point.
0: (laughs) Yeah, actually, yeah, you're right, Sam. So the topic is, of course, coronavirus and college athletics. And uh, I don't even know where to start. Um, Duke is doing pretty well. Uh, So far, uh, Duke is, most of their student athletes appear to be resuming playing sports, or at least trying to play sports and not getting the virus, which is a really great thing. Duke announced last week that um, one more student athlete had tested positive. That makes a total of 26 student athletes testing positive since they returned to campus uh, back in July. Um, Jason, does
2: that does that not seem like a lot to you? I don't know. I, Seems like well, a lot to me.
0: <laughs> so the 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 25 I think was mostly guys who had gotten it before they came back to campus. Um, so they they've had one more in the past week. And this is as Duke students have returned. Uh, in fact, uh, Duke announced that they conducted 3,116 coronavirus tests to um, graduate and undergraduate students during August. Um, and only four of them came back as positive. So, And so that's Duke pretty has, good. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, four total students positive, you know, one more student athlete. That feels good to me. That feels like, They've largely got it under control. Um, you know, we're not getting challenge. big clusters of things. I, I don't know. I, you know, I mean, the question would be to me, sorry, and Sam, you can jump in a second. The question to me would be, uh, do we expect the number to be zero? Because zero doesn't feel realistic to me. If these people were, you're talking about 3,000 plus tests. So 3,000 plus people out there just in the wild, wherever if they were not at Duke, uh, for you to tell me that four of them would have coronavirus, four of them would, would test positive, I, w- I would think that's doing a fairly decent job of controlling the disease. Four out of 3,000 plus, it's not running rampant through the group. So it feels like Duke's doing a decent job. At, am I wrong?
2: I think there are a few things here that may be outside of our purview to discuss, which is one, 3,000 tests out of a normal campus body that I think is somewhere between 12 and 15,000 means that there are a lot of students who aren't there. Many of them perhaps won't show up at all because of whatever circumstances uh, regarding the virus that are are keeping them at home or or elsewhere. They they may not be returning to campus physically. So some of those are, are gone. But that also means that there are still a lot of students who have yet to show up. So that's one aspect of it. And then the the other part of it is that the classes haven't resumed yet so what happens when not just are the students physically back but they're engaged in campus activities and how does all of that uh, relate to the to the spread of the the virus and then finally and we'll we'll, we'll bring this back to athletics once the actual games begin how much does playing on at other schools and having other schools visit you, how much does that affect the the pandemic? And will we see finger pointing between schools, particularly out, out of conference? And and, and I know we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. But how much will that play into schools being like, we've contained the pandemic for, or the virus versus, oh, now we're having a, a new outbreak because it's mid-September and
1: we're having football and field hockey games again? So I also think that you know, and we'll talk about this a lot in a little bit. But I think right now Duke students are doing a great job at be creating a bubbleish type of atmosphere within their teams. We we talk about you know, the football team and basketball teams are all like separated from each other, and, and you know, field hockey. All these guys are separated from each other, and they're doing those things right. The question is going to be, and we'll talk about this right now. Basically, is what happens when college students become college students because we've seen that starting to happen in other places. And that is where my concern lies.
0: Yeah. And speaking of other places, we we got to talk a little bit about what's going on at UNC. You guys were talking about the fact that classes haven't started yet at Duke. They have started at UNC. It is not going well over there. Um, classes began about a, a week, I think exactly a week ago. Um, and the school at first said it had found um 11 cases of coronavirus on campus in the past week but that's not bad considering there are 5000 plus students living in dorms and and all around you know UNC and and uh, and UNC was planning to do half their classes in person not you know not going fully virtual like a lot of other places uh, not even going mostly virtual but at least half of UNC classes would be in person um and so they started up you know as i said they only had 11 cases in the past week they started up and things have exploded. Um, I I believe that UNC is now up to four different reports of clusters, which means five or more cases in one place. Um, uh, One of those clusters is at the huge Granville Towers, which is where more than 1,000 students live. Um, One of those clusters is at the Sigma Nu Fraternity House. Look, I don't know if it's true, but folks on Twitter are reporting um, that every brother of Sigma Nu, except for two members of the frat, have caught the coronavirus, that they had a big party. Everybody was, I don't know, sharing drinks, chest bumping each other, fist bumping, who knows what that was going on. But virtually everyone in the Sigma Nu fraternity at UNC supposedly have the coronavirus. Last weekend, it was reported that the university police were called in to break up seven different large parties. And at two of those parties, they actually issued citations because the parties had gotten so bad Um, uh, I, I have a friend who has uh, who has a, a child who works for UNC who who said that UNC's quarantine and isolation facilities, where they you know when they in, when they encountered these cases, they put them in special quarantine and isolation places. That UNC's quarantine isolation facilities are already something like ninety to ninety five percent full, and that's after one week of classes. Um, it's just been, there's been an explosion of it on the Carolina campus when they went back into class together. So. And Jason, that, let's not yeah.
2: let's not pretend like this is a, a Carolina only problem. We've, exactly. we've heard about outbreaks yeah. like this at numerous schools, and as Donald said, this is college students being college students. Uh, there, there is only so much that there are only so many barriers we can put up to people living their lives. And we were all college students at one point. We understand how this works. Uh, the, these students are not going to just sit in their dorm rooms or or sit outside in in small group gatherings. They're going to do what college students do. And it's really up to, I think, university leadership and and political leadership to to create environments that are safe for them. So I, I don't want this to I at least personally don't want to be blaming the students for for the way this is going, because this is just kind of inevitable. This is how they're going to be. I mean, adults can't
1: even wear their masks right. Adults don't want to make their masks or they they don't want to wear them. They don't want to you know, all this stuff. Right. So. At the same time, and this is a bigger conversation for everything. We are now turning around and expecting kids to be the leaders that say, "Yes, I will wear my mask properly, and I will socially distance, and I will fist bump, and I will, you know, be with you know, six feet away from everyone in my classes." That's not happening in college. You know, we the parties that you saw on Twitter and on on Facebook at UNC are happening everywhere. And it's because college students, when they get to college they're going to partake in the college experience and it I think a lot of a lot of national opponents have started to see this, and they're kind of saying, like look, we could put all the barriers we want all the coaches can do what they want but at the end these kids are going to be kids, and when that happens, they can't control that and they can't control 50,000 other people because that's really what we're asking them to do. We're not asking, you know, Cutcliffe and the coaching staff to take care of a hundred guys. We're asking them to take care of an entire campus. We're asking coach K and the staff to take care of an entire campus because when these guys go out into their classes and they interact with the campus, they're interacting with everyone, regardless of what sport they may or may not play. So that is the concern. And I think that's why when college does start back up for Duke, we may see some of these things too and we can't be upset at these kids for doing that we have to be upset at the leaders of the school of 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 the city of the, you know for keeping bars open for you know making you know for allowing people to go to some of these indoor places and and really just for putting them in a situation where they can't make a decision other than acting like a college
0: kid well and, and i want to harken back really quick to a point i believe it was sam made earlier about even if you're doing a good job, if you're participating in a sport, because let's bring this back to sports at least a little bit, the team you're playing against may not be doing a good job. Uh, you know, let's say, and I, and I'm not saying Duke's great and Carolina's bad. But let's say, just based on the way the cases are going so far, you know the Duke football team was playing UNC, and the Duke football team was doing a really good job of containing it. And then they went and they played UNC and UNC wasn't. And suddenly the Duke football team got it from the UNC players. Your ability to control this is not only based on yourself. If you're playing sports, especially, your ability to control it is based on how well your opponents control it as well. And it just creates this bigger and bigger network of places where there can be faults along the way. And and when that happens, it's going to explode because you... You can't control it if you're in close quarters with someone, and that's what sports requires. And that's why the Big Ten and the Pac-12 said we don't think we can pull this off. And the ACC, Big Twelve, and the SEC are still trying. Uh, you know, Sam, what the, the is this reason work? that we <laughs> shut down?
2: The reason that we shut down sports and society back in March, the the lack of ability to contain the virus has not been fundamentally changed since then and 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 this is what I think I've been talking about this all summer is basically like
0: we so have are you gotten, still talking st- that why are you still talking? That is the bottom line. We people haven't people gotten that.
2: <laughs> we haven't gotten the vaccine and we haven't gotten the social distancing right. I, you know obviously it would be great if we had a vaccine and and we could all get it and and it would work and all of that. um but short of that, if we were able to enact appropriate social distancing measures across not just on campuses but but in in every city and all of these things uh, the virus would, would eventually go away because we, we just wouldn't have that spread anymore. And then we would feel safe about playing sports, but we haven't really done that. And, and in particular, the places where I, I actually, I don't even want to say that it's in some places and others, very few places are are, are doing this correctly. So uh, that's the, that's the challenge. At, and Duke will get hit with, with, a, with outbreaks, the way that UNC and other schools have it's, Honestly, just a matter of time because Duke students are—I I don't believe Duke students are fundamentally different people than UNC students. They're still going to go to parties. They're still going to do what they do, and yes. and it's inevitable that these things are going to spread uh, across campuses and and across cities until until we take a more uh,
1: a bigger and smarter approach to the whole thing. Jason, you mentioned before about how you know it doesn't matter if Duke is completely, you know, 100% on top of things when they go to play a team like UNC or NC State or whoever, and that team is messed up, then they're going to mess us up. I'll take it one step further. We all went to school at Duke. What was one part of our college experience? Partying on Franklin Street, going to Raleigh. Like, these guys aren't going to be restricted to just, I don't care what Duke says, they're not going to be restricted to the streets of Durham. Some of these guys, some of these college students are going to be going to other places to party with other kids. And, Duke, and has enacted, work.
2: Duke has enacted contact tracing for students who leave the triangle, but mm-hmm. Chapel Hill and Raleigh are both in the triangle. In the triangle so yeah. there, there is no, there is nothing stopping a Duke student from going to Franklin street. If there are places open on Franklin street.
1: Right. Um, and that's the thing. If as long as places are going to be open, those places are going to be full of college students. When those, when those schools start back up and it's only a matter of time. And I think right now, what we're trying to do, at least on Duke's side, is we're doing a fairly good job at at maintaining it. But I think you know we have to be careful that when you know a week from now, when school starts back up, we're not saying, "Oh, we you know we we did it right," and then all of a sudden, an outbreak happens. We have to accept the fact that the way college students operate and the way this country has been operating, it's only a matter of time where it could happen to any of us. It could happen around the corner, and it could happen on our own very campus that we love so much.
0: And really quick, I want to echo again, Donald, you said this earlier, uh, don't blame the students. The students are going to be students. I, I, there's nothing wrong, in my opinion, with students wanting to have an active social life. I mean, my goodness, who among us did not have an active social life interacting with other students when we are in college? It's a huge part of the college experience. It's part of growing up. Um, and and becoming an adult and, and all that other kind of stuff. They deserve it. It would be a crime if they didn't get it, but it's so hard for them to get it. And we can't possibly, as adults who as a society have not done a good job of containing this, we can't possibly expect our students who are in the process of becoming adults to do a better job than we have. It's None of this is surprising. And when there are outbreaks on campuses across the country, which there will be, and we're already seeing it that is not surprising either
2: another aspect of this that that i mentioned earlier that seems to be a like ongoing question is that the acc left non conference games in the schedule and the one school that is supposed to play 3 of the acc schools that's liberty university is still dealing with with a bunch of cases and, and has had uh, some comments from head coach Hugh freeze about how they aren't doing quite enough testing. So, or they, or they haven't been doing almost any testing. So I have to question here if the ACC did an actual thorough rollout of a, of a containment plan, Florida state is having problems. And Jason, I know you wanted to talk about that. So, so yeah, getting everybody on the same page appears to be much harder than, than the lip service that ACC leadership is is giving,
0: yeah, the Florida State situation is very interesting. Warren Thompson, who's a player for the for the Seminoles, says that you know that they're just covering up testing results and they're not doing enough testing. And uh, you know this is the kind of thing we've heard at several other schools as well that the the schools aren't testing enough. and and even when they do test, there's you know coaches are trying to to keep the numbers down because the coaches really want to play. They, uh, and they think, oh, we can make this work. We can keep it safe. Um, it, it's a bad situation at numerous campuses, numerous programs, um, uh, and even the programs that look <laughs> look like they're doing things the right way. I mean, look, we saw Justin Fields of Ohio State. Ohio State and the Big Ten have shut down. They've said we're not going to we're going to move to the spring. We're not going to play in the fall at all. We're going to hopefully things will be better in the springtime. And Justin Fields, they're the quarterback for Ohio State. Has started a petition where he says uh, that, that that he wants to play anyway, and and he's trying to get a petition to get the Big Ten to reverse their stance and and still play football. It's uh, you're getting all these conflicting messages. I, I mean i i don't even I don't even know how you begin to pull all this stuff off because it it's just when you're hearing different things from different people, when you have different programs doing it right and some programs doing it wrong. Um, it just it just feels like a really dangerous situation. I I I just I I can't figure out how it's gonna happen I I guess I sort of hope it happens in a safe. I hope it happens in a safe way. I'd love to talk about football. I'm sick of talking about coronavirus But uh, you know, I feel like I feel like we're the same place sam you said earlier We're the same place we were in march. We're the same place. We've been for months now on this Um, and it it doesn't feel like anything substantive has happened to change things So I don't know how we would expect that we're going to pull off football starting in a few weeks So, with that, we're gonna be done with this coronavirus stuff, <laughs> at least for this week. Um, before we go, uh, Donald, I want I know you wanted to provide a little bit of an update on what what has been going on in the past couple of weeks while you've missed the past couple of podcasts. Just go ahead, buddy.
1: Yeah. so um, wow, this is hard. Um, so, a couple of weeks ago, I lost my mom, and it was a very sudden um, passing. and uh, so it was. Something where I had to, you know, take some time away, it was, she was, you know, obviously she was my mom, but she was, you know, one of the most important people in my life. Uh, I still remember, I I just want to tell a quick story. Um, When I got into Duke, I went down to Blue Devil Days. I think it's something that we all uh, were able to partake in. Jason, I don't know if it was around when you were in school, but I know you know about it. They didn't have it. They didn't have it. (laughs) But, uh, but, you know, it's the time where people go down and, and, you know, for admitted students to see if... They wanted to get in, and so my dad had to work, and so my mom was like, "All right, I'll take you down to campus and and take a look around." Mind you, at this point, I had already gotten into Michigan, and I had already gotten in with a full scholarship. So, as far as my parents were concerned, I was in college. Um, so, I went down to Blue Devil Days, took a look at the campus, and fell in love with it. And my mom fell in love with it. She was, you know, more, she was so proud of the fact that I was able to get into a school as high caliber as Duke. And at the end of the trip, we were about to leave. And she goes, well, what did you think? And I was like, well, I think this is where I want to spend my four years in college. And without hesitation, she pulled out her checkbook and wrote a check for the deposit and said, let's go drop this off before we go home. Because if you go home, you'll get talked out of going to Duke because we already have we already have everything set up in Michigan. So she literally wrote a check for $300, whatever it was, $500, and we drafted it in the overnight slot at the admissions office so that on Monday morning, it was the first thing they saw when they walked in the office. Um, and the whole time home, she was coaching me on what to tell my dad <laughs> about, what, <laughs> about what I was going to do for college. Um, she was a, a huge fan of Duke. She was a huge fan of, of the school, the city. Uh, she always enjoyed going to campus and visiting. Um, I still remember skipping. Um, to collect my degree uh, on mother's day uh, when we graduated, because it was quite simply is what she wanted me to do. Um, And, and those things, uh, you know, there's so many other things, but that was a a Duke related thing. But the long story short is I've missed my mom already. Uh, It's been two weeks. It's been the most two difficult weeks of my life. And um, uh, I think that the strength that she always had she passed down to me, so I'm going to keep carrying on. Uh, I'm glad that you guys were able to carry on in my absence, but uh, it was it was a pain to be away from you guys, uh, and it was good to talk about something other than that um, uh, for the last couple of weeks. So, uh, thank you for having me. Allow this. I love you, mom, and um, uh, may she always look over. It. And I will say, I will say this: if we get that six championship next year, guarantee she's helping. Guaranteed.
2: Donald, that was great. Thank you for for sharing with us, and and uh, we're glad to have you back on the show so that we can you know keep on going.
0: What what a what a beautiful memory, Donald. Um, uh, writing that check—that's, I mean, you know, one of the defining moments of your life. And uh, I mean, I'm look like your mother isn't part of probably ten Everything. or fifteen <laughs> or twenty dozen other <laughs> defining moments of your life, but um, yeah. We know it's been difficult, and, um, and we want to be there for you as much as we can. Um, but what a, what a special, special woman. We're, we're just glad you shared a little piece of that with uh, all of us. So that's going to wrap it up for us on episode 224 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Once again, I am Jason Evans, hosting this week along with Donald Wine and Samuel Klein. Folks, we ask you, as we always do, send us some email dbrpodcast at gmail.com like and subscribe please subscribe put reviews all that other kind of stuff we want all those kind of things so we can hear from you and know what we're doing right know what we're doing wrong and know what you want to hear from uh what I want to hear about here on the dbr podcast we will be back very soon um we'll be talking more about the Dukies in the nba we hope we have other interesting duke stuff to tell you about Until then, I am Jason, they are Sam and Donald, and this is The Duke Band. Adios, folks.